Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, and welcome to the exciting, colorful, and sometimes bizarre world of Argentine tango. On this show, we'll be meeting tango instructors, event organizers, and musicians. They are a fascinating bunch of people, and it'll be a great time. I'm your host, Joe Yang, and thank you very much for joining us. Today's guest started off as a professional composer before discovering tango. He is now a highly accomplished tango musician, composer, and teacher. Although he's originally from Kansas City, Missouri, he's now based in Berlin, Germany, where he's an instructor at Malajunta Berlin, Tango Tanzen Machschön, and Nu Tango Berlin. He has taught and performed internationally in countries including the U.S., Argentina, Poland, the Netherlands, Kenya, Russia, and many others. And with me now from Berlin, Germany, is Corey Ireland. Corey, thanks so much. Hello. For, how you doing? Good. Very good. Good, good. good. Thanks so much for yeah. taking the time to, to be on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Well, happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah, so I know you started off as a professional composer. Is that correct? That's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So when it came to tango, did you fall in love with the dance or the music first? Well, that's a good question. I would have to say, honestly... The dance. I was aware of tango music. I was aware mostly of modern tango music, and uh, you know, it was a little bit in fashion. This was like in the '90s. Uh, there was, oh. I think, a, a sort of movement in academia towards welcoming or valuing uh, non-Western music, mm-hmm. and somehow tango got lumped into this multi-culti ethnomusicology fashion. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I, I was familiar with piazzola mostly. Okay. Um, I had the sort of appropriate tolerance or respect for it, uh, but but not really a passion for it. Mm. Um, and and then I I discovered the dance quite mm. by accident, and mm. that was a different story. Okay. Um, and then through the dance, I discovered a different generation of tango music, and and that had a different sort of draw for me. I think okay. uh, somehow I fell in love with tango music as a dancer first. Oh, okay. Um, so- Nice. A little backwards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So can you describe the moment when you knew you wanted tango to be a big part of your life? Oh, you know, there were a couple of moments. Mm-hmm. Two that happened in the first, like, maybe two weeks for me. My first tango experience was actually in a milonga. A buddy of mine who played guitar was playing in a tango band and said, Hey, Corey, you're going to like this. Come check it out. We play every Wednesday night. Wednesday, I was dancing flamenco, so I didn't come for a month or two. And then one night, flamenco was canceled. So I thought, okay, I show up at the club. And I walk in, and you know, there's this room full of people hugging each other and dancing. And the band was playing, uh, actually, Piazzolla, as it turns out. <laughs> but but you know, it was a, it was a five-piece band that sounded okay. great. Mm. And I kind of stared at the dance floor for, I don't know, must have been five or ten minutes, and and then uh, my buddy's girlfriend came over and, and said, "Hey, you should dance." And she drugged me out on the dance floor and tried to teach me the eight count basic uh-huh. on the dance floor. <laughs> wow! I, I was a disaster. I couldn't get past three. And she said, "Okay, here, <laughs> you do side steps. I'm going to do back ochos, and we danced the rest of the song that way." Oh, nice! And by the end of the song, I was like, "Wow, this is cool," because immediately. Uh, there was this experience that what the music did and what I did had an mm-hmm. effect on what she did. And oh. and that was a really uh, kind of novel experience to me. Other dances that I experienced were were a bit more choreographic, were a bit more kind of uh, each one has its part. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's the way we started out. But, you know, it, it became clear within 30 seconds that everything made a difference, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that was really interesting to me. Yeah. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, and then, then of course, in week two, there was this cute girl in the dance class who <laughs> said, oh, do you have a dance partner? No, then I'll dance with you. And then suddenly there was a new motivation for tango. I think that's a common story, too. <laughs> but not just that it was a cute girl, but that there was this kind of experience, wow, you know, you can meet somebody and interact in a way that's a little bit musical, a little bit artistic, a little bit, I don't know, very social. Right. Um, and, and then it happens immediately. You know, right. it happens in, in the first... Well, before the first step, and and that for me was kind of a, the Germans say a flash, you know, <laughs> that, uh, very captivated by that. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, so you studied music at uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City? That's right, yes. Okay. Oh, that's where I did my master's degree. In. Oh, okay. I studied before that at Williams College and then the master's at, at uh, UMKC. Okay, nice. So at the music schools, I'm just out of curiosity, how, how is tango music generally received? Oh, Wow. That's a great question. I think in the time that I was studying, uh, aside from Piazzolla, tango music was basically unknown. Mm. And Piazzolla, as I mentioned, was was part of a fashion in that moment of, I don't know, kind of honoring or welcoming music from different traditions. But I, I don't think there was honestly a tremendous... I don't think composers in my little circle would have put Piazzolla in the same category as Mozart or Stravinsky, for example. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was uh, it was music that was given value because it was different, mm. and and I think for academia it was easy to kind of focus on the sort of simplicity of the structure and the relatively how can we say routine or um, predictable harmonic and rhythmic structures mm -hmm. and, and to take that as an indication that the music might be less sophisticated than other I music. See. I see. Well, this is this is super narrow-minded, you know, it's it actually, I think each music has their area that they develop in depth and then other areas that are not so deeply exploited and, and in tango, you know, this realm of articulation, of rhythmic feel, of mm -hmm. uh, kind of interaction in the ensemble is, is is developed to a very high level, perhaps more so than in, in classical chamber music or, well, differently so mm -hmm. than in other musics. Um, but uh, this is, I think, something that you, you get to recognize only with some immersion or mm -hmm. actually maybe especially from the perspective of dancing mm -hmm. and music. And now I'm talking particularly music like the late 30s and early 40s mm -hmm. um, that, that really grew up next to the dance. Yeah. Um, there's stuff going on in there that, that I think is every bit as, as sophisticated and complex as what's happening in any of the European classical music. It's just mm -hmm. in different layers. It's just in different uh, parameters. So, yeah, my, my experience as a, as a student, there wasn't much awareness of tango. You know, I was in school in the 90s, so this was okay. maybe a little bit too early for it would be interesting to ask somebody studying now what, what the music department thinks of tango music. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, my, my perspective later, dealing with academics and uh, sort of conservatory musicians around tango, mm -hmm. Tango has the superficial reputation of being the music where you get to act out, where you get to be a little bit naughty as a classical <laughs> musician. You know, okay. yeah. you can play bad, you can let your hair down, you know, you can swagger about and then play the note too long or too loud or mm -hmm. with a funny, you know, which again I think is a little bit trivializing what, what's special about the music. But you mm -hmm. know, good. You know, if tango is the place where classical musicians can kind of rock out, that, yeah. that's also fine. Yeah. You know, there's something valuable in that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I when I was a kid, I, I was 
playing piano and cello, I was classically trained, strictly classical. And then when I mm-hmm. became exposed to tango, just like you said, I thought, wow, you can you can do this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is at the onset an apparent freedom, which which can be like intoxicating. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 the oh, you know, I, I could I could wear a leather jacket while I play. You know, I could, yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. suddenly everything fits. And then I think with with a little bit more immersion, mm-hmm. it, it becomes clear that, well, it, it's, I mean, there is freedom, there's self-expression or individuality, mm-hmm. but there's also a very, a very developed kind of tradition of how that freedom is used. And not everything sounds equally appropriate in tango, and not everything mm-hmm. sounds equally tango, or, or even, uh, we could say, good, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so the freedom is, is like, in most things, kind of bounded by taste or by by the the tradition or the convention in the style but but certainly when you're looking at the notes it seems like a lot of freedom because there's this idea that yeah what's on the page is not what you're going to hear mm. you know what's on the page is a starting point it's a mm-hmm. it's a sort of guideline and i think in any music there's some truth to that i think in tango there's an essential truth mm-hmm. to that yeah, so you are a tango instructor with a very rich background in music. So when it comes to teaching, how how do you introduce musicality? In other words, like how do we how do we become more musical dancers? If for those of us out there listening who are just starting to get into to dancing, just starting to fall in love with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, there's there's the tried and true tip, which I would repeat, which is to listen to a lot of tango music. Mm-hmm. And and I would nuance that a little bit, like go with what you like. I, there, there's lots of choices, and and every DJ or teacher or dancer will tell you what the good stuff is. Mm-hmm. But I think a very sensible starting point is is to listen to a lot okay. the music that speaks to you, and a lot I mean repeatedly, a small number of tracks, millions of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think actually we we get a different sort of understanding of the music when you hear the same thing many times than mm-hmm. when you hear a hundred examples of the same style. Yeah. So yeah, I used to. Uh, Actually, I borrowed this idea from a guy named Clay Nelson. I, I mentioned mm-hmm. you know Clay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would make a CD for my beginner students, and, and we can't say this publicly. <laughs> but uh, but I would give the CD to students and ask them to to copy it and share it with each other, so that by the end of the session of classes, everybody had had MP3s. I guess would be now the the means of transfer, mm-hmm. but but that they had a starting set of music, and I would recommend for them to listen to that playlist uh, when they were in the car, when they were riding on their bike, when they're in the subway, if they're in a city that has a subway, mm-hmm. just to to have it on and, and to expose themselves to it a lot. And, and I think there's something actually very useful from this kind of passive exposure mm-hmm. to the music where it, it starts to work on your intuition, it starts to work on your imagination. Mm. Um, it's also nice to listen very intently to it and to practice moving to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think there's a value to the background listening, especially when it comes later to the process of interacting with another dancer, of, of having maybe particular movement structures or goals, all the things that your teachers have been telling you should happen in the dance, uh, then it's very difficult for the music to be in the foreground in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And, and if, if we have some experience of the music having an influence on us when we're doing other things, I think that's actually a really good preparation nice. for what happens in the dance. Okay, nice. So how did you become a tango teacher? Can you describe that journey? 
Oh gosh, sure. Um, <laughs> it was a big accident, like most things. Okay. Um, <laughs> I well, the the very practical part of it was I, I got really fired up about Tango. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of teaching in my town, so I started bringing in recommended teachers uh, or or people that I had experienced in other towns. I, I would take a workshop with somebody in Colorado, for example, and mm -hmm. and say, hey, you know, this was really great. Would you come to my town, to Kansas City, and do a workshop there? And I was doing this quite actively for the first year of my, my Tango life and uh, had the same sort of feedback from everybody who was there. Hey, it's really nice that you do this, but if nobody's reinforcing this stuff, there's no point in me coming back. You know, uh, I, I would ask the teacher, hey, when can you come again and, and work with us? And they would say, well, you know, what's going to happen in between my workshop this weekend and my workshop in six months? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and I would say, well, nothing. We're going to wait for you to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Daniel Trainer that really put a fine point on it. You know, he said, "Well, you know, at least do some review. You know, at least run a practica or something. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't think you're a teacher yet, then then get people together and you know we can videotape things and you can show them the videotapes or you can buy my videotapes from this whole catalog of things. He set me up as one of his dealers in the first visit, which oh, was very nice. clever of him. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, so we would get a group of people together and we'd watch these videos and we'd, we'd try to duplicate what we saw. You know, mm -hmm. it went pretty organically from there uh, into like running review sessions after workshops, into running ongoing review groups, and then eventually to my own classes. So teaching for me happened as a way of, of trying to I don't know, build a group of people, build an audience for other teachers in my community, basically. And, and then with, I don't know, with years, it became a bigger and bigger part of what what attracted me to tango. I actually really love teaching. And, yeah. and that, that, for me, has been another way to experience tango, not just as a dancer or as a musician, but as, mm -hmm. as a teacher. And that, that then has its own kind of draw for me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at first it was an accident. First, it was just somehow, I wouldn't say a necessity, but a choice in order to to see things that I wanted to happen, happen. Okay, um, nice. Now, you're, you also play the bandoneon? Yes, Is I do. It, was that also an accident, or did, is that something you were like, I'm going to play this instrument? I blame Nick Jones for that. Nick, if you're <laughs> listening, it's all your fault. Um, I was pretty happy being a tango dancer and, uh, and teaching and uh, just enjoying the music as a listener. Mm -hmm. And... Nick bought a bandoneon, mm. and I was I was kind of I don't know joking with him about it. It's like, oh come on, this is such a difficult instrument to play. Why would you you know Why would you invest so much time in it? He's like, dude, here, just just play it for a moment. My, it was like that first time I walked into a room and saw tango dancing. Was, uh -huh. What is this thing? How does it sound like this? And how can I you know How can I do this better? Um, it was kind of a, a love at first touch or something. Wow. Um, yeah, and and. I don't know. I think it was maybe the well. It was definitely the next time I was in Buenos Aires that, that I that was on my agenda to to find an instrument. But I think even before that, I was kind of looking around and saying, "Okay, how can I get one of these things?" Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It was it was pretty immediate. It's a love hate relationship. Okay. Um, it's a it's a very captivating instrument, but a very unforgiving instrument. Yeah. And uh, I think in the first years, I had this expectation, maybe maybe the same like with the tango dance that. Mm -hmm that I should just be able to do it, you know, somehow, because it was a musical instrument, I should just be able to play, because I, you know, I was a musician, and then I knew something about music, and mm -hmm. come on, how hard could it be, there's some buttons, and there's, there's <laughs> air moving, this is, and sure. it turns out it was a little bit more uh, complex than that, um, <laughs> it's also, I think, that complexity that, uh, that is attractive, 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe much like the dance. You know, I think I, I have a feeling people who are instant gratification people or who want to just kind of do something that works immediately, these people end up doing other dances or, or end up doing other activities that aren't dance. Right. And I think that the people who stay in the dance are, are they tend to be people who enjoy the complexity or who like a challenge or mm-hmm. who are willing to invest time and energy in, in cultivating something. Yeah. Um, and then I think this also fits for bandoneon players. It's not really an instant gratification mm-hmm. instrument. But I guess I'm one of those people because it's mm-hmm. I, I, I keep at it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, just out of curiosity, what, what instrument did you, did you specialize in before? You know, I was a, a dabbler. Um, okay. I... I had a keyboard background, but no real training. I just had a piano when I was a kid and mm-hmm. uh, was always playing, so sort of self-taught pianist. Um, that was mainly the instrument I used for writing. My sort of academic training was in composition, mm. so so more on paper than in the hands, I would say. Okay. Um, I was a, a pianist by sort of habit, mm-hmm. um, and... and I don't know. I th- as long as early as I can remember, I was sort of experimenting with different instruments. My my dad was a violin teacher, oh, so when okay. I was three years old, he started me on violin, and <laughs> that that was never really a choice. It was just a, you know, okay, you can walk. Here's the instrument. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I kind of for the first thirty years of my life collected different instruments and then learned to play them to a degree that was somehow fun or satisfying but but never really at a a concert level or, or never really with the interest in, in being a, a master mm-hmm. of the instrument. Just you know, what mm-hmm. what kind of voice would come out of this thing. Mm-hmm. And and Bandonion for me was a break with that. I think pretty early with Bandonion I recognized, well, this isn't a dabbling instrument, at least for me. I right. if, if I'm gonna do this I have to invest some time and, and invest some energy and mm-hmm. yeah. So what was your first performance in a tango group like? Oh, I have to think when that was. There's a few kind of early moments that come to mind. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure the first actual thing would have been with the group in Kansas City, mm-hmm. uh, Tango Lorca. Okay. And uh, actually, if I remember right, the first time I ever played with them, I wasn't playing Bandoneon. I was playing uh, Bansari. It's a, a wooden Indian flute. Oh. Um, and... This was an instrument that I, I actually was somewhat competent with, mm-hmm. and uh, we we had a, a tango festival that had sort of as part of its thing there would be music and jam sessions and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And so in one of these moments, yeah, the musicians from Tango Lorca were supporting the project, and uh, I had my my flute there, so I just jumped in, <laughs> and uh, and it was it was a blast actually. Mm-hmm. I have to say it was really interesting to interact with the music instead of as a dancer, as a musician. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure somehow that that gave me some push to uh, to improve my bandoneon playing. Okay. Because, I, I, in fact, I think I always still want to find that same experience of being able to sort of interact mm-hmm. in the musical realm. And, and I think that that implies or that wants a degree of competence with, with the instrument itself, that the instrument doesn't get in the way of your music. You know? I see. That, uh, that you can respond to changes in articulation or changes in dynamics or changes in phrasing or tempo mm-hmm. without having to, you know, wrestle with the mechanics of the instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, that, that's, I think that's, for a lot of musicians, sort of the, the unreachable goal. You know, there's, there's <laughs> always some mechanical obstacle, but, yeah. but we try to get closer and closer to, 
to just being able to be musically ourselves with whatever instrument we're playing. So do you, do you regularly play with several groups now? I do. Um, I, yeah, I have a, I'm very happy with the situation now. I, I get to sort of experience, especially tango music, from lots of different perspectives. I, I run a community orchestra in Berlin, which has been going now for, I think, six or seven years. And we, we rehearse every week. We just had a workshop yesterday where we played for dancers and tried right. to explain nice. to them what we try to do. Mm-hmm. And in that project, I, I see myself both as a sort of collaborator and as something of a teacher um, mm-hmm. or a director. I have a quartet that's mostly people from that group, but but here, you know, we, we work as peers and, and try to find together a way to create music for dancers. Mm-hmm. I play occasionally as, as a substitute or in a, you know, a special project, a tango show or something where I'm coming into somebody else's oh, okay. thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then there, it's, it's sort of turning the tables and trying to figure out what does this group do and how can mm-hmm. I learn mm-hmm. how to fit. I've done that in the last couple of years also with a couple of professional bands, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of tango show band based in Berlin called Kang Tango mm-hmm. and, uh, and then Ocho Saires. Oh, nice. um, and yeah, especially with Otros Aires, you know, it's a totally different thing. You know, now mm-hmm. I'm, I feel myself in sort of the, the Padawan learner position, you know, <laughs> I'm like the little apprentice who's coming in and trying to figure out how does it all work yeah. and, and how can I, you know, keep the machine running, you know, yeah. how can I keep from throwing a, a wrench into the works. And, and yeah, it's really nice to be able to have that diversity of experiences and, and sometimes to be responsible for things and and sometimes to be uh you know really on the the other end of the, the spectrum yeah to be the one in the group with the least experience um, ah i see yeah yeah i interviewed miguel from other side is a while ah uh, yeah yeah he's great guy really, yeah, yeah he's really really yeah. mellow really fun to talk to yeah mm-hmm. yeah so when you're yeah. when you're either substituting or just uh, or playing with a with a new group of people. When mm-hmm. you first meet them, are there any any indications that tell you, hey, this is going to be a good group to work with? Ooh, interesting. Um, I think these things are mostly interpersonal, mm-hmm. um, but they come out also in the music. I think there's there's questions of leadership and followership. There's mm-hmm. questions of ego or questions of hierarchy uh, that that yeah. sometimes are totally relaxed and and you know resolve themselves in an instant. Mm-hmm. And sometimes kind of linger in this kind of uncomfortable ambiguity. Ah. Um, and I think the the places where it's ambiguous, those are the musical relationships that are difficult from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And then the places where you kind of feel like, okay, I feel like this in relation to this setting, and they seem to feel like this in relation to me, and everything is good and clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, it really doesn't matter where that dynamic works out, whether mm-hmm. we all play as peers or somebody is, is kind of the director and the rest of us are following mm-hmm. or, or, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as, as people feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. with that, that interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's something really nice, you know, when you just have a conversation together. Yeah. Um, and, and in some cases that happens very easily, in other cases that never happens mm-hmm. because... You know, there, there are sort of perceived gaps in where we are and that, you know, somehow, mm-hmm. um, well, you know, it's a little bit like cabaseo for a tango dancer. Uh-huh. You know, you look around the room and you can see everybody, yeah. but some of them will match your look and some of them won't, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And it could be because they think they're not really 
in the position where they feel comfortable dancing with you, or mm -hmm. it could be because they think they're, they're, you know, they're too good for you. They're, they're in a position where you, you're not in their level. And, yeah. and it, I think it's the same thing musically, that, that there are some people who are happy to meet you wherever you are, and mm -hmm. there's some people who want to know, wait, you know, which one of us is in charge here? Nah. Um, so, mm -hmm. I don't know, that's been my, my experience. Um, I, I tend to believe mm -hmm. that the more capable the musician, the more it doesn't matter. Okay. That, that there's this question of like interaction or hierarchy, this is sort of an intermediate question. Okay. And, and, and with people who really have a mastery of their thing, I, I've never really experienced that sort of, mm -hmm. I mean, the positions are clear from the first note, yeah? And, and then mm. we, we play with it, we enjoy it, you know? It's not a question of having to prove something or, or work something out, you know? This, is, this has been my experience so far. I've, I've never really felt that awkwardness with somebody okay. who is, is clearly a master of what they do. Yeah. You oh, know? Great. Um, great. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about, about composing tango music. So, uh, of course, when we go to a milonga, the DJs are playing these beautiful classic tango songs, mm -hmm. and we get used mm -hmm. to them. We hear them everywhere around the world, which is kind of nice. But yeah, but you're also a composer. You do compose tango music as well, yes? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, so can you uh, talk a little bit about the, the uh, movement to create new tango music and, and how that's going? Okay. <laughs> I can talk from my own experience and I can talk sure. sort of as a curator of, of okay. other people's efforts. It's hard. It's very easy to write a tango. Mm -hmm. I think it's very difficult to write a tango that somehow holds up in relation to these pieces that we hear thousands of times and that we sort of know like we know our own breathing. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I can't think of an example of a tango that's been written in this century mm -hmm. that that lives up to the sort of answer effect mm -hmm. uh, of the tangos that we have from the 30s and 40s and to some degree from the 50s. We're, we're trying. We're trying to figure it out, but I think mm -hmm. we have a very different context that we're writing in now than what happened in that time. Oh. Um, I think, yeah, there's there's not the degree of, of kind of, or, or the possibility for the same degree of trial and error mm -hmm. that I imagine happened w with an orchestra that was playing several nights a week for dancers and rehearsing during the day and trying out new arrangements. I mean, maybe this is a fantasy, but, but mm -hmm. to me it seems like the, the style probably developed. So on the job, you could say, you yeah. know, that... that uh, we try something on Tuesday and it didn't work, and we rehearse on Wednesday, and by Thursday we're playing a different version of it. You uh, know, yeah. I, I I imagine it worked like that. <laughs> In groups that I play with, the performance opportunities are weeks or months apart, oh. and you don't really have this iteration or this prototyping. You know, you mm -hmm. you prepare your thing and you play it. Yeah, it's 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 difficult to go through this series of kind of sequential refinements mm -hmm. that I imagine helped the the music that we really love to dance to. But there's also kind of cultural and and musical questions. I, I think we live in a different era, and mm -hmm. and there's sort of a naivete in in the tango music of the dance era, which we don't have in our culture anymore. Oh, um, yeah. And then there's this question, do we do it like a pastiche where we kind of copy something that's no longer ours? Mm -hmm. Or or do we try to do something that's that's in our time actual mm -hmm. and, and then see if it somehow we can adapt the dancing yeah. to fit it? Mm -hmm. Honestly, for for myself, I, I stopped writing original tango music some years ago because I wasn't very satisfied. 
okay. with how it was to dance to, to the music that I was writing. Mm-hmm. And, and I took a long period of time where I was uh, just transcribing and arranging pieces that I like to dance to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, building some competence, playing those pieces in different ensembles. And now slowly I'm getting back to the question, yeah, okay, but what if, you know, well, I guess the interim project now is, is taking the pieces that I love to dance to and making my own arrangements of them, mm-hmm. you know, bringing them into my own sort of rhythmic or, or harmonic language. And, and I, I already start to imagine, yeah, I would like to do that also with my own melodies. But, yeah, this, this then opens a lot of questions. Tango has a very particular form, mm-hmm. uh, the dance music, and if you're writing your own tango, do you stay in that form? Yeah. Or, you know, do you make your own form? This is a form that, that really comes out of a certain time and place, and it's a popular music form, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a little bit, I don't know, there's, there's kind of a, a human or an intellectual problem of, of saying, I'm going to write in this style, mm-hmm. and this style isn't really the style of my, my time period or my culture or my place. You know, mm-hmm. it's like putting on a costume. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And I, I think part of, or I intuit, Part of what makes the pieces that we love great is that they're genuine. Mm-hmm. You know that they express something real for the composer in that moment, and they express it in the the language mm-hmm. that was actual in that moment. And then it, it's a it's an interesting question: how how do we do that now? You know, uh, if you take Otrosides as an example, mm-hmm. um, I mean, Miguel has a couple ways of doing that. One is is to do that by, by taking an old melody and putting it in a kind of groove that fits the music of today. Right. Another is, is by taking a, a sort of structure of, mm-hmm. uh, of a tango or uh, of a pop tango, we could say. Usually Milanga is the structure of choice for him. And, and writing contemporary lyrics that fit that. Yeah. You know, then, then telling a story that's something about our time and culture, mm-hmm. but using a song form that, that's something about uh, the dance era. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's also a, a sensible approach. I don't know. For me, somehow, I'm, I'm pulled more towards instrumental music, okay. and then the, the storytelling hasn't so far been as, as, uh, as prominent a, an aspect for me thinking about making new music for tango dancers. Yeah. But maybe I just haven't met the right singer yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're a very yeah. compelling singer who has an interest in tango and wants to tell some contemporary stories, get in touch. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see what we can do. <laughs> hey, you never um, know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, maybe, maybe we see Momo again. I think mm-hmm. he was a very interesting <laughs> voice in tango and, yeah. and was, was creating at a manic pace something kind of fresh and new. Uh, that that was tango music intended for dancers, really coming from a dancer's perspective, mm-hmm. and and I, I I think in the end we're we're looking for something that's relevant, that's relevant to us personally, that's yeah. relevant culturally, and then somehow also relevant to this tradition of tango dancing, mm-hmm. and that that process I think isn't a a one shot thing. I, I think yeah. that's going to involve a lot of trial and error. It's going to be an evolution of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a curator, I, I see lots of different streams going on. You know, there's there's the kind of electronic stream, which is you know I think much more related to popular music or, or club music than mm-hmm. to anything tango. It's just uh, you know maybe we take a tango lick or a sample or you know a little flavor, a chord progression, and that's the bridge to tango. And then the dancers try to, to walk that bridge <laughs> into uh, a disco. <laughs> 
and, and this is an interesting project. There's, uh, there's a project with a lot of, I, I call them younger orchestras. I don't know if they call themselves younger, but they're younger okay. than me, so I call them <laughs> younger orchestras. Okay. Of, of reinterpreting old songs in a new flavor, but, but with the, basically the traditional instruments. And so it's, it's quite close to tango in the structure and the timbre, but, but the arrangement ideas are novel. There's a group called El Andariego that mm -hmm. plays uh, Poema, or they play Loca, but it all sounds like crazy modern Pugliese, you know? Oh, I mean, everything nice. has this big sort of, who knows where the next beat's going to come, and oh. the accents are huge, <laughs> and everything's reharmonized. It's, it's a very modern perspective, but they, they choose very sort of well-known, loved pieces from dancers, and then they reinterpret them. I think, yeah, Sexteto Milanguero has their own version of doing right. this, um, where, where they, they have their flavor, but they play pieces that the dancers know and love. And, and this, this stream, I think, is, uh, has been pretty successful with mm -hmm. dancers. I think it's, it's brought us closer to sort of an availability of new music for dance. And, and then there's a lot of, again, I call them young bands, that, mm -hmm. that have their original pieces. Yeah. And these original pieces, let's see, you know, I, I know of very few, maybe two or three, mm -hmm. that actually you, you hear them played as a recording in the milonga and people get excited, you okay. know. And, and then there's the second question about staying power for this mm -hmm. music, you know. Right, um, right. I remember the first time I heard Gotan, Santa Maria, I was like, this is the coolest piece in the world. And then, <laughs> you know, six months later, I was done with it, you yeah. know. It's like, oh, Jesus, if I hear those chirping crickets one more time, <laughs> I'm going to throw up, you know. Right. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a difference in, in the durability mm -hmm. of, of something like that and the durability of Bahia Blanca or uh, right. yeah, yeah. El Puntazo. You know, there are pieces that you can hear yep. thousands of times and every time you have that same excitement. Maybe yeah. even more excitement because you're remembering a little bit what happened with that great dance partner that you danced with yep. six months ago or six years ago to this piece. Yeah, yeah. so uh, there, there are very few examples that I'm aware of mm -hmm. with with modern tango compositions mm -hmm. that get there, but, but I'm happy that there are some. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's promising. I think for me as a composer, that's encouraging to see yeah. that it can be done. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting... Uh, Eric Jorsen in El Corte uh, commissioned a piece of music for their, I think it was the 10th anniversary of their International Week or something like this. Okay. And uh, he commissioned the, the band leader from... Uh, Sexito Kenjenge, Karl Kairhoff, I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, but a uh, very talented bandoneon player mm -hmm. and uh, it turns out also composer. And as nearly as I can tell, Karl looked at the, the music that people like to dance and picked out a bunch of cool effects and mm -hmm. wove them together into a song and called the song El Corte. And this was debuted at the International Week uh, of their, their 10th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And they played it like uh, Cumparsita. They played it at the end of every milonga. Okay. And the first time I heard it, I was like, wow. I mean, this just feels like somebody pasted together all these cool moments. And, mm -hmm. and it, it feels like a weird collage of things. Okay. And then the second night, maybe there were two or three of those weird moments that I remembered from the first night. And, mm -hmm. and they sort of stuck. And, and I could dance them. By the end of the week, I was thinking, this song kicks ass. This is great. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think it was not just that the devices that he chose mm -hmm. were, were devices that were nice for dancers, but, but it took time for me as a dancer to get used to how he was using them and, and, and to be able to predict them and to be able to kind of feel mm -hmm. the progression of the song. Even though the material was all really dance-friendly, mm -hmm. um, when you hear it in kind of a 
a less formulaic or less predictable way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first time it's a little disorienting. Mm-hmm. But man, by the tenth time, I was thinking, this song is great. Oh, I really like dancing this. Okay. And, and I, I think, for better or worse, that's likely to be part of the process of mm-hmm. kind of creating modern dance hits is that the dancers need they, they need to be appealing enough or familiar enough that we will play them again mm-hmm. yeah and, yeah, and, and by the time we've played them five six ten twenty times mm-hmm. then I think we'll, we'll begin to know whether whether they're really nice to dance to or, or just so-so yeah but I, I don't think at least for me as a dancer I don't think that's something that I, I'm gonna really know the first time yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of great information. I mean, I think that what you've said about tango now, the evolution of tango, I think a lot of that can be extrapolated and there's, you know, parallels to other to other parts of life, you know, whether it's music oh, yeah. or filmmaking or what have you. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. there that people are going to be able to identify with. Yeah. Yeah. So, Corey, so as a teacher or dancer or a musician, how do you stay sharp? How do you keep challenging yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, I try to, and on good days, I'm able to um, to be a beginner, mm. um, to, to look at where I am and see that as the starting point for progress mm-hmm. and not as the end point of a training or something. And, and, yeah, the days when I can do that, I feel really good about what I do, mm-hmm. um, and it's fun and it's interesting and it's challenging. And the days where I put myself in the position of being the you know, oh, I'm a veteran of so many years of dance or music or I have this training, are the days where I feel really frustrated because I think, God, I should be better than I am. I think somehow the role that I make for myself has a lot to do with how effective mm-hmm. the, the training or the work is. I, I know dancers who are very rigorous about training and dancing, mm-hmm. and, and it, it, it really, you, you can see it, you see it in their dancing. I, I know dancers who are very lazy about it, and <laughs> to some degree you see it and maybe not. But I go through waves. Uh, there, there are times in my sort of, I don't know, my pace or my progress where I'm really focused on dance. And then every day I want to do something with my body mm-hmm. uh, to, to sort of cultivate or develop my way of moving as a tango dancer. There are other times when that happens maybe once a week or mm-hmm. twice a week where it's not a daily practice. And I don't know, I guess I could beat myself up about that, but I also feel like, well, you know, I, I do it when I feel motivated to do it. Yeah. And... Right now, I, I'm sort of in a phase where I, I'm kind of urgently working on uh, bandanion technique. Okay. So, yeah, I, I want three to six hours a day with the instrument, and nice. then it's it's difficult to find non-working time with mm-hmm. the dance. You know, I I do little bits here and there, but but my training regimen as a dancer right now is probably down to a few hours a week mm-hmm. um, outside of classes or social dancing or, or teaching lessons you know yeah. fortunately <laughs> this is the this is the dark secret um, I, I think uh, a lot of us as tango teachers uh, we get our training time during our private lessons <laughs> but, uh, yeah we we dance with our students and and you know we we work on the details that we need to work on in our own dance as well mm-hmm. it's yeah. a dirty little <laughs> secret but uh in the end it's a win-win you know if your yeah. teacher becomes a better dancer they could also be a better teacher so, yeah. so don't worry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> excellent yeah so Corey, where do we find out more about you online oh that's a great question that's an embarrassing answer too um there's uh there's a website that's pretty up to date mm-hmm. called uh 
communitytangoorchestra.org. Okay. And it's all one big ugly word, uh, community tango orchestra. Okay. And and this is intended as sort of a resource for a kind of expanding network of people making tango music for dancers. There's a bunch of arrangements that you can download for free. There's some uh, MP3s of uh, recordings of those arrangements and videos of different ensembles playing those arrangements. Nice. There are lots of features of the website which have never really taken off, but someday will about you know like discussion groups or you know a database of musicians who might be able to substitute in case you need a bass player or a oh, piano nice. player in your neighborhood. Okay. Um, these parts are are potential but not really actual yet. Okay. I have a partner website. Uh, <laughs> this is the embarrassing part. <laughs> it's been sitting there online for at least two years now, called uh, Tango Music for Dancers, okay. and I think this is. Uh, I can't remember if this is a .com or a .org. Okay, I should we'll, know we'll that. find it. That's bad. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but Tango Music for Dancers, also <laughs> one big, long, ugly, run-together uh, name. And, and this aspires to be um, sort of a compilation of materials that I've used in, in workshops mm-hmm. and uh, musicality things that, that are kind of online resources for dancers wanting to know more about tango music. Okay. So in the last years, uh, I do a pretty regular series of uh, workshops for, for, for dancers that, that end up being kind of, I don't know, content-heavy for music, scores and mm-hmm. video examples and animations. And, and yeah, it's my, my hope to have those things available online. Um, in fact, the, the workshop from yesterday, we, we had way more examples and material than we could fit into the three hours of the workshop. Wow. So, so in the next weeks, I hope to have uh, mm-hmm. at least that material available on tangomusicfordancers.com or org. Okay. Try both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll have that uh, in our show notes. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll, I'll figure it out. Good. So <laughs> I'll have that in our yeah. show notes so we can, so we can find it. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually mm-hmm. quite actively looking for, well, not actively, but wishing for a, a collaborator, somebody who has some web savvy or is just a good administrative person who can keep me on okay. schedule <laughs> All right. uh, to, to help make these websites more uh, usable and more, uh, I, don't, I don't know, up to date. I think it's one, the sort of luxury of our era that we have mm. this free access to information and right. ideas, but, but actually producing and uh, putting those ideas out there requires a surprising amount of, uh, well, as, as you're aware from your blog, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah time and effort and commitment um, yep. and some technical details as well. Yeah, um, that's so. another job. <laughs> that's another job in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't have a, a working web page right now as a tango dancer or teacher, which is curious. Uh, <laughs> my my uh, perception, especially in Berlin, is mm-hmm. that, that tango has become so much about marketing. Oh, um, okay. And yeah, in the last years, I've I've been pretty focused on marketing the the events or the products, but but haven't done any marketing of myself. <laughs> so <laughs> we see how that works. So far, yeah. somehow I survive, but it doesn't seem like a very good business strategy. Um, <laughs> Okay, Corey, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're super busy being a teacher and a musician, composer. You got a lot of, a lot of uh, things up uh, to, to keep track of. But, yeah, it means a lot that you took the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to know that there's interest. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish you lots of luck with the blog. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, another good conversation. Corey brought up a lot of good stuff that's worth thinking about. 
In terms of dance, I really liked his thoughts on partner-to-partner -partner interaction, how a tango connection with another person can be musical, artistic, and social all at the same time. And of course, most of what we talked about centered around tango music. And even if you're not a tango musician, and even if you don't possess a whole lot of musical knowledge, Corey brought up a lot of points that can help us as dancers. He mentioned that tango music allows more freedom for the musician than classical music. As he puts it, a tango musician can let down her hair and be a little more wild and expressive. And although there's more freedom in tango, that freedom has to be judiciously applied. It has to be done in a manner or moment that is appropriate. That's not true only from a musical perspective, but also in a dance context as well. I also like what Corey had to say about developing musicality, and that it's a good idea to pick a few tango songs you like, regardless of how obscure or well-known the pieces are, and play them over and over again. The passive exposure is very helpful. You'll start noticing details and layers. You know, it's kind of like watching your favorite movie over and over again. You keep catching new things. That's kind of how it's like in, in this context, too. And while you're listening to the music, think of the memories associated with the song. Who were you dancing with when you first heard it? What were you feeling? Did anything exciting or unusual happen while it was playing? Believe it or not, this type of immersion can be very good for your dancing. Corey also gave some amusing anecdotes about his journey to becoming a bandoneon player, and that learning that particular instrument was a big challenge and not for those seeking instant gratification. And that carries over to learning tango as well. Getting good at this dance is an intense lesson in delayed gratification, as most of you probably know. And if you're the kind of person who's willing to stick with something, you'll do fine with tango, even if you don't have as much time to spend on it as you'd like. Another subject that was really interesting was Corey's thoughts on the creation of new tango music. Today, we live in a vastly different culture and environment than the one that gave rise to the golden age of tango. And as Corey said, that's probably a huge reason why it's challenging to create modern, original tango songs with lasting impact. On some level, that's really sad, but personally, I'm optimistic. I'm excited that people like Corey and others are trying to figure that puzzle out. And for what it's worth, as much as I love those classic tango songs, I'm totally open to new original compositions and I'll be happy to try dancing to them. So thank you, Corey, for the great conversation, for sharing your thoughts, and for telling us your tango story. It was a lot of fun. And to all of you listeners, thank you again for tuning into Joe's Tango Podcast. If you enjoyed this program and you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, it would mean the world to me if you could go to any one or all of those platforms, leave a five-star rating, a positive comment, and remember to subscribe. It only takes a minute, but does a lot to help more people find this podcast. And of course, sharing this with your friends would also be lovely. I truly appreciate your support. And if you have suggestions for people that you'd like me to interview, or if you just want to get in touch, feel free to send me an email. You can contact me at wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. And you can find out more about me and my own tango classes at wisconsintango.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, dot com. Okay, that's it for now. We'll have more shows coming to you every Monday and sometimes Fridays, but definitely every Monday. I'm Joe Yang. Talk to you again soon. Bye.